Welcome to the St. Richard's Episcopal Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Rev. Cameron Nations. For more information, please visit strichards.org. It'll be a while because last week we didn't get to meet for church. So I thought today I would just preach that sermon and then also this sermon. And we could... I will not do that, just kidding. <laughs> Although I, I did like my sermon from last week, I'm kind of, but anyway. Um, well, so friends, I, I do have an announcement to make this morning, and it is that Lent is coming. Lent is coming. I, I don't know how we have already gotten here, but in a couple of weeks, it will be the season of Lent. And Lent is a time, of course, for spiritual growth, spiritual renewal, for repentance, for introspection, and it can be one of the deepest and richest times in the Christian year, and yet, I must admit to you this morning, as your pastor, debating if I say it, I don't have to say this, y'all will assume better of me if I don't say this next part, but I must admit as your pastor that Lent often sneaks up on me, personally, not in terms of the programming life of the church, but personally, Lent always just arrives suddenly. And because, uh, despite what many people assume, I think many people assume that the busiest times of year in the church calendar are actually Christmas and Easter. But I'm going to tell you, that is false. The busiest time of the year is January and February, okay? And the reason is, well, there are many reasons. One of them is, you've just spent all of your energy on Christmas, okay? Uh, forgetting the fact that after you take some time off for the holidays, you come right back and all of a sudden it's another program time, right? It's like another semester's begun, but unlike back in August, you didn't have the summer to get ready. It just is there. Then you also have annual meeting, which means you have annual report you have to do. Uh, An annual meeting means you have new vestry members, which means you've got to onboard the new vestry members. And then that also means that your parochial report is due to the national church, which for some reason is not the same thing as the annual report, which also has to get done. And then there's also diocesan council, and there's stuff you have to prepare for for that. So January and February each year, it just it's like all of the stuff's happening, and then suddenly Lent, right? Lent, Lent happens. Um, and I am not always prepared for it. Now again, if I hadn't told you that, you probably would have thought, man, Cameron is always piously ready for a holy Lent. But I feel like that's a little bit of a disclaimer because on Ash Wednesday, I will exhort all of you to observe a holy Lent. And I just want you to know, I I need to exhort myself (laughs) to, to a holy Lent, to keep a holy Lent. Now, I've been thinking about this because I think today's readings uh, actually are really good pre-Lenten readings because they get us thinking about uh, fasting in particular, but spiritual discipline more broadly, spiritual discipline and practice and what God really thinks about it. And so it's helped me to pause and have a little bit of a pre-Lenten thought about Lent, okay? As I mentioned already, Lent is a time where we undertake spiritual discipline for the sake of spiritual preparation. And often this does mean fasting. I mean, that's one of the most common things for people to do for Lent, right? It's to give something up, you know? Uh, or, if, you know, there's also the Roman Catholic practice of, like, fasting on Fridays. I mean, it, it, but fasting plays a big part in people's Lenten observance. And we hear about such a practice in today's reading from Isaiah, don't we? And this morning's reading from Isaiah begins with a pious people 
sincerely seeking God. They are doing all of the right things, or so they think anyway, and yet they struggle with something that I know I myself have struggled with, which is to see and understand the ways of God. And they ask this question. They say, why do we fast but do not see? Why humble ourselves but God doesn't seem to notice? Have you ever been in that place? I've certainly been in that place. Like, why isn't it working, God? Right? Like, that's the question here. We're fasting. We're doing the right things. Why isn't it working? Why don't you see me doing this? Well, we get the answer in the very next line, and it is a gut punch. The prophet Isaiah, or God speaking through the prophet Isaiah, says, look, what you serve your own interest on your fast day. You oppress all your workers. You fast only to quarrel and fight and to strike with a wicked fist. Such fasting as you do today will not make your voice heard on high. Ouch. This is a hard truth. It's most of the truth found in the prophets I mean, are hard truths. I mean, essentially, Isaiah is saying here, okay, so you fast, and that's great, but your behavior is still bad. Fasting alone is not going to do it. Now, the prophets, and again, this is not just Isaiah. It's, it's a thread that runs through all of the prophets, like Micah, who we would have read from last week. Um, that was a, part of my sermon was about Micah 6.8. Whether it's Micah or, or Amos or Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Joel, on and on, uh, whatever prophet you read, the prophets are all clear about this thing, amongst other things, but this thing in particular. If your piety does not translate into transformation, then God wants none of it. If your piety doesn't translate into transformation, then God is just not interested. Because our spiritual practice needs to transform the way that we live and move and have our being, right? The way that we interact with one another, the way that we view issues of inequality and injustice, which are certainly on the minds of the prophets, the ways that we wield power and prestige and influence. This is why the contemporary notion that sometimes exists out in the wild that your faith, that your salvation is somehow just this kind of private matter between you and God that doesn't need to have a bearing on anything else is such an impoverished view of the faith. And in particular, Isaiah this morning would like a word with that way of understanding our faith. Isaiah makes it clear that we are called to be restorers of the breach, restorers of the very streets on which we live, Isaiah says. We are to offer food to the hungry, to satisfy the needs of the afflicted, to loose the bonds of injustice, to undo the thongs of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free. We are to share our bread with the hungry, to bring the homeless into our house, to clothe the naked, etc., etc. This, the prophet tells us, is the fast that God recognizes. This is the fast that God recognizes. And so to the question that we hear earlier in the passage, why are we fasting and yet God isn't working, God's response seems to be, why are you fasting and yet not doing my work? Right? 
Why are you fasting and yet not doing my work? You see, God flips the question. And I want to be clear, it is not that fasting is bad or without value. Okay, that's absolutely not what I'm trying to say. It's not actually what Isaiah is trying to say either. It's not that fasting is bad or without value. It's that fasting, like all spiritual practice, is not an end in and of itself. Right? Fasting, rather, is a means to draw us closer to God, to help us come to see the world as God sees it, and therefore to act in accordance with God's will. I mean, that's what all spiritual practices are meant to do. Now, I want us to notice something about the list uh, that I just read, that uh, Isaiah gives us, the list of things in that list, loosing the bonds of injustice, letting the oppressed go free, sharing bread with the hungry, housing the homeless, in our own homes, no less. Isaiah does say that, okay? How, in, house the homeless in your own homes, clothing the naked. Like all of the things on this list, notice that they are all things that we have the capacity and capability of actually doing ourselves, right? None of this lies beyond our ability to perform these tasks. God, for instance, is not asking his people to control the weather, would that we could, actually, this week, right? Like, would, if we could have done that, that would have been very convenient. God's not asking something that is actually beyond our capability. Everything in this list are things that we actually can do. Now, still a challenging list, though, right? Maybe doable, but it's not easy. And so if doing the will of God sounds like a tall order, fear not, because like always, there is good news. There is good news. And the good news is that we are not alone in this endeavor. As Isaiah goes on to say, he says, the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your needs in the parched places and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters never fail. The Lord will guide you continually. You're not doing this on your own, under your own steam. God will provide the sustenance that we need in the parched places. And we shall be, I love this image, like a watered garden. Like a watered garden. You know, I love the image of the watered garden for many reasons. But one of them brings us back, actually, to thinking about Lent. Uh, because it's in a watered garden, right, where fruit is born, where new growth happens, where uh, folks, other people, find sustenance, right, in a watered garden. Dry garden doesn't grow much, uh, doesn't grow much at all, really. You can come see our backyard if you would like to uh, see what an unwatered garden will do. Um, it is a watered garden, like I said, that has the potential for new growth, and, and I feel like a watered garden is a really beautiful image for what Lent can be, right? A time for us to dig our roots down deep into the rich soil and to find our relationship with God bearing new fruit. And so, maybe for Lent, our communal practice should be, whatever our individual actions that we may take, whatever those are, perhaps our communal practice should be to reflect daily on the ways that our personal piety impacts the way that we live. Perhaps our Lenten discipline as a community should be to worry a little bit less about fasting from some food that we enjoy just to kind of say that we're doing something, you know, 
And maybe we should focus a little more about feeding those whose lack of food is not a choice, right? Who miss a meal, not because they want to, but because they have to. I would pray that perhaps this year Lent itself would be for us like that watered garden that I just described, a time of deep spiritual renewal and growth where we might learn new ways to translate faith into action, hope into healing. That we would be, as Isaiah calls us to be, repairers of the breach and doers of God's will. Or as the prophet Micah put it last week in the sermon, I didn't get to preach, but I'm pulling him in. Okay, I'm pulling him in at this one. At the end of Micah chapter 6, one of the most famous verses, most quoted verses in all of scripture, Micah 6, 8. What does the Lord require of you but to do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God, right? Do justice, love mercy, walk humbly with our God. That this Lent, God would move and work in and through us to be menders of what is broken in our community and in our world. To have our hearts open to see injustice and to be moved to do something about it to seek the good of the very streets on which we live. That's how Isaiah renders it. I love that. Because that's where we are. It's not some abstract place. It's your neighborhood. It's your address. So in other words, that we would be salt and light. Amen. Thank you for tuning in. For service times or more information on St. Richard's, please visit strichards.org.